I believe God works like this, that the Spirit of God leads the people of God to submit to the Word of God. Uh, and there's some things we're going to look at in uh, chapter 4 uh, that's going to push us a little bit. Um, and my prayer has been this week uh, that the Spirit of God will cause and lead us, those of us who are His, His people, to submit uh, to His Word. We're looking at Acts chapter 4, and so if you have a Bible or look it up on your smart device, it'll be on the screens behind me. We're going to jump into that, but before we do, I need to give you some context before we get to the content of it. Uh, There's some things that I feel like I need to lay the foundation for for the rest of the study of Acts, and certainly as we get into chapter 4, that we need to keep and we need to be clear about. Uh, the first of, of, of these four is, is understanding the groups that are in play, that have been in play and are in play. Uh, there's two main groups uh, that the, Jesus and then now the early church will come up against and have a lot of conflict with. They're the Pharisees and Sadducees. Say Pharisees. Good. Say Sadducees. These were the two prevailing, there were more, but these were the two prevailing religious groups. The Pharisees were the conservative religious group. Uh, They believed in the totality of the Old Testament scriptures, um, uh, that they were true and right and authoritative for life uh, and for belief. Uh, And then there were the Sadducees, and the Sadducees were the liberal religious group. They didn't believe in miracles. They didn't believe in angels. They didn't believe in demons. They didn't believe in the resurrection. They didn't believe in in life eternal. Uh, They believed that the messianic age, the age of the Messiah, had already come and been inaugurated through the Maccabean revolt against Syria in 160 B.C., where the the, the Maccabean family led the revolt of, of the Jews against the Syrian army. They believed that the kingdom of God was more of an ideal. Uh, It wasn't a person or an event. Um, And so there were these two groups. The Sadducean group was the smaller of the two, uh, but they really yielded the political and uh, financial power. The the Pharisees, uh, during Jesus' ministry, the conflict was between Jesus and the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees were looking forward to the Messiah, and Jesus came claiming to be the Messiah. And so theirs was a struggle, and, and that's really what led to Jesus' crucifixion, at least religiously and politically, from their point of view, uh, that anybody claiming to be the Messiah was worthy of death. Uh, and so that was the struggle, that was the conflict between Jesus and the Pharisees. After Jesus' death, burial and resurrection and ascension, the struggle isn't with the Pharisees anymore because there isn't anybody claiming to be the Messiah. The Messiah has been resurrected and ascended to heaven. So they kind of fall by the wayside a little bit, but now the problem is that this first church who believes in the risen Messiah is coming to conflict with the Sadducees because the Sadducees uh, were all about power and wealth. And the Sadducees wanted to keep the status quo with Rome. Rome was the occupying force, the occupying power, uh, had the authority over life and death. uh, And the Sadducees buddied up with them. Uh, And so they they wanted to protect the status quo. They wanted to protect their their political position. They wanted to protect protect their prestige and their wealth. and, and while, the, while the Pharisees' issue was the right to rule as the Messiah, the Sadducees' issue was the implication of that rule. And as the first church started to understand who Christ was as the resurrected Messiah and what that meant for their lives in this world, it shook up the status quo of the Roman governing authority. And they didn't like that. So all through Acts, what we see now is the church coming in conflict with the Sadducees 
Because the Sadducees want, in essence, the Sadducees are like this. Like, look, if you want to believe what you believe, that's fine. Just keep quiet about it. Don't disrupt the culture that we're in. Just, just, you practice your little faith, whatever. We don't have issue with it because we don't believe in, really, we don't believe in faith at all. We just like the political environment we're in. So that's the one thing we have to understand. One of the four things we have to understand. This, this issue now, as we see on through the book of Acts, this conflict between the church and the Pharisees. As we come to things called the Sanhedrin, which was the ruling 70 religious people, kind of the high court for the Jews, the high priests, they were all of the Sadducean sect. Okay? The second thing we have to understand is this thing called persecution. Persecution has an exorbitantly important role in the spread of God's church. God's church doesn't spread without persecution, certainly in the first century. Uh, And what we'll see right here in Acts 4 is the beginning of it. And for the next 300 years, we'll see the persecution of God's church get worse and worse and worse. Not just people posting bad stuff about, you know, but like, like physical, bodily harm, persecution. Uh, we see, see that in this day and age in other parts of the world. We don't see it in the United States. We see it in places in the Middle East. We see it in China. We see it in parts of Africa. We don't see it in the United States. Persecution is an important aspect of church growth, and we'll see that when we get to Acts chapter 8, specifically so. But the, the devil's kind of changed his tactics with Christians in the West. Because of this thing called law and order and freedom of religion and freedom of speech and stuff, we don't necessarily at all experience physical persecution uh, like Christians of old. But what we, the, 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 the tactics the devil uses are different. Rather than try to shut us up by persecuting us, he's changed his tactics to things like worldliness, So we look just like the culture, materialism. So we think that God came to make to 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 make me rich and comfortable. Um, Things like uh, like my own comfort. Things like mixing my political affiliation with my religion. Uh, Things like uh, the priority of my hopes and dreams for this world for my life the focus on my own personal potential. Those are all ways that, that, that the evil one uses to get our minds off of the kingdom. The third thing we have to understand as we go through the book of, of Acts is the fulfillment of what Jesus said would happen in the book of Luke chapter 21. And this is what Jesus said before he was crucified and ascended. He said, before all this happens and, and the kingdom of God on, in, in, taking up residency in the world, reclaiming it, he says, they will seize you and persecute you. They will hand you over to the synagogues and put you in prison. And you will be brought before kings and governors and all on account of my name. But make up your mind not to worry beforehand how you will defend yourselves. For I will give you words and wisdom that none of your adversaries will be able to resist or contradict. Now, how did he start that? You will be what? Persecuted. You're going to be arrested. You'll be hauled before governors and rulers. And it's going to get really, really bad. How many of us, if this was what was led with when we were first hearing about Jesus, would have said, yeah, go ahead and sign me up for that? And so what we're going to see is this right here became the reality for the the first church, for Peter, and we see it beginning in Acts chapter 4. The interesting thing is I, I I left out a verse there. Luke 21, 12, 14, and 15. Can any of you uh, figure out the verse I left out? Good for you, 13. The reason is because I, I want to read this one. Don't miss this. Don't miss this. 
they will lay hands on you. They will persecute you. They will deliver you to the synagogues and prisons. And you will be brought before kings and governors all on account of my name. Here's verse 13. This will result in your being witnesses to them. The reason all this is going to, from our perspective, go bad is so that we will have the opportunity to what? To be witnesses. Please understand this. This is part of ecclesiology we've got to understand. This is a part of the doctrine of the kingdom of God that we've got to understand. This is part of the doctrine of the church we've got to understand. We've got to think theologically and doctrinally from a biblical worldview. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you what? Acts 1.8, what's it say? You will be my witnesses. And the Holy Spirit comes on you. You will be my witnesses. Where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. Had it not been for persecution, they would not have spread to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. Had it not been for persecution, they would not have become witnesses. And Jesus says right here, this stuff is going to happen because I have one goal for you, one purpose. Here's how it goes. If everything is up and to the right, what kind of witness is that? When everything's going good, that's, that's not really a profound witness. Just come to Jesus. He'll make you healthy, happy, and wise, right? What? And so it's as if God says, look, one of the best ways I can position you to be a witness for the priority of the kingdom and the rule of reign in God in your life is for things to get really, really bad. Because when things get really, really bad, most people will jump ship. And when you stay faithful and when you stay committed to my purposes, even though they're bad right now and you don't understand them, that is a witness for me in the kingdom. You understand? Understand? This stuff is going to happen so that you will have the opportunity to be my witness. Because if, if this stuff doesn't happen, you will not be my witness. And the fourth thing we've got to understand is kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. There's no other focus for the first church. There's no other focus to the book of Acts other than kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. Kingdom priority kingdom authority, the preeminence of the kingdom, that everything else in the lives of the individuals in the first church and everything else in the life of the first church is subservient and submitted to the kingdom of God. Kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. One of the things I tell my staff is that one of the, the, the daily focuses and purposes of us as a church on our staff is kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. And what, what that means for us is any time we get the opportunity to, 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 to do, to sacrifice, to give, I don't care what it is, if it serves the kingdom, we say yes to it on the front end. Because it's the priority. See, here's what we got to get, that a church with this commitment becomes unstoppable and a disciple with this mindset becomes unstoppable. That's why I titled this series Unstoppable because what we're seeing is the first church who had this unconquerable commitment to the kingdom of God, the kingdom priority in their life and in their church and in their world. And they absolutely became unstoppable. Even the gates of hell couldn't stand against it, which is exactly what Jesus said would happen. So we got to get this stuff straight. Because it's going to color everything that we see in, 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 in chapter 4 and throughout the, the rest of the book of Acts. So in opening up chapter 4, how many of us understand that just because you do the right thing doesn't mean that everything's going to go right? We understand that, right? Just because you do the right thing doesn't mean you ain't going to have troubles. What just happened in chapter 3? We finished it last week. What, 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 what just happened? was seven days ago. Don't make me preach that one over. Yeah, you're murmuring it, but you're not saying it was conviction. 
What happened in chapter 3? A man was healed. This, this, this lame man, since birth, 40 years, not able to walk. Peter and John show up. Heal him. That's a pretty good thing, right? It's an act of kindness, an act of mercy, expression of God's power and authority in the world. And that happens. And because of their act of kindness, because of their act of mercy, because of God's expression of his power and authority in the world, they get in trouble. Did you ever hear that saying that no good deed goes unpunished? Here's how the first church views trouble that's so different than us. The first church views troubles as opportunities for bold witness. That's how they view troubles. But I just said it was going to happen. I guess we got a great opportunity to witness now. And so let's look at this. Chapter 4, verse 1. The priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came up to Peter and John while they were speaking to the people. They were greatly disturbed because the apostles were teaching the people, proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection of the dead. They seized Peter and John, and because it was evening, they put them in jail until the next day. But many who heard the message believed, so the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. Um, when the Bible says the priest, the captain of the temple guard, they were all of the Sadducean sect. Okay, so these are all Sadducees. Did you know that back in these days, the, the, the priests, the high priests, and, the, and, the, and, the, and this ruling sect, the Sadducees, did you know that they had their own church police force? I got to admit, that's pretty cool. Like they had guys who had concealed carry permits who patrolled, you know, the premises and everybody knew they were carrying and they could bash heads if they needed to. And the chief of the temple guard was second only in authority to the high priest himself. So these are some high powered people. All of the Sadducean sect who wanted to keep the first church quiet, shut up, do your thing, but do it in private. Don't mess up the status quo. So it says they were greatly disturbed. Just insert the word in our vernacular, triggered. Okay? It got triggered. Because why? Two things. Because Peter and John were teaching, and they believed that only those who were trained in theological things should be able to teach. And so these guys weren't. And so that was one thing. But it wasn't just that they were teaching. What were they teaching? The resurrection. Sadducees didn't like that because they didn't believe in the resurrection, right? And so they're teaching something that they don't adhere to or believe in, and they're teaching the resurrection of Jesus. The implication is Jesus is the first fruits, which was one of the festivals that they celebrated, that everything coming after the first fruit uh, was of the same DNA and kind. So if Jesus was resurrected, they're claiming that everybody who is in Jesus by faith is resurrected as well. And for them, this is shaking up the whole status quo. And so they're triggered. They don't like what Peter and John are preaching. And so the next day, now they arrested them and threw them in jail because they couldn't do anything to them at night because the law said you can't try someone at night, which is another indication that the trials of Jesus were completely bogus because they all happened at night and they knew they were breaking their own law. So they throw them in jail, wait till the next morning. The next day, the rulers, elders, and teachers of the law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there, and so was Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and the others of the high priest's family. They had Peter and John brought before them and began to question them, by what power and what name did you do this? The high priest was, in the, was, was the priest in the, in the priestly line of Aaron, Moses' brother of the tribe of Levi. And Old Testament said when someone was established by God as the high priest, they were high priest for their life. It was like being on the Supreme Court. Like God chooses you and you're there forever. Now what has happened is that their religious system had become so political that the high priest was no longer appointed by God. Now the high priest was appointed by Rome. And so they would buddy up with Rome 
to get their person selected as the high priest. Caiaphas, in all, was elected the high priest, and then he he wielded so much power, he got five of his sons, one son-in-law, and one grandson elected to be the high priest. So this was a very, very, very politically powerful liberal who was connected both to the liberal church and to the government and just wanted the, the real church to keep its mouth shut and behave itself. It was nepotism and materialism at its finest, so far from the priorities of the kingdom. Please be careful. Be very mindful of those things that lead you away from kingdom priority. It's easy to see in someone else's life. It's very difficult to see in our own. Be very careful and mindful about things that lead you away from kingdom priority. Wealth, success, advancement. If they lead you away from the priority of the kingdom, be very careful. The kingdom of God is not, political, uh, not about political power or position. The kingdom of God is not about earthly favor. The kingdom of God is not about earthly finances or riches. The kingdom of God is not about us. Everything must come into submission to the kingdom of God and the priority of the kingdom. Everything. Let me just help you understand when I say the kingdom and the kingdom of God, this is what is meant by that. The kingdom of God is God's rule and reign in my life and in the world. Everything in my life as a disciple of Christ must be submissive to the kingdom's rule and reign in my life. We need to understand this. Everything in my life, everything in your life, if you're a disciple of Christ, must come in submission, submit itself to the kingdom's rule and priority. Your finances, your discretionary time, your hobbies, whatever you think are your goals and agendas in life, Everything must be submissive to God's rule and reign. And so they're all there with Peter and John. And in these next few verses, verses 8 through 12, what we see is the living out of what Jesus said. Again, not this time in Luke 21, but this time in Matthew 10, exactly what would happen. This is what Jesus said. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as what? As witnesses. To them and to everybody watching. You're going to be arrested and the reason I'm going to allow you to be arrested and I'm going to orchestrate it so that you are is so that you can be witnesses to those who are persecuting you and everybody else who's watching. Don't worry about what you'll say or how to say it. At that time, you'll be given what to say for it will not be you speaking, but the, father, but, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. This is fleshed out now in verses 8, 9, 10, 11, 12 of Acts 4. Do you ever think about the reason, perhaps, why things go south is so that we will have an opportunity to be a witness to the trust in the sovereignty, the trust in the mercy, the trust in the, in the graciousness of God to those watching us? Do you ever think that maybe sometimes things go south so that we'll have the opportunity to be a witness to Romans 8, 28, that God works all things together for the good of those who love him, called according to his purpose? Do you ever think that maybe why things God allows things to go south is so that we'll have an opportunity to be a witness of Genesis 5, 20, you intended it for evil, but God intended it for good to everybody who's watching? Do you ever think about that? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, 
If we're being called to account today for an act of kindness showed to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, that this man stands before you healed. Jesus is the stone the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there's no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. I memorized that verse when I was uh, in, uh, I think, sixth grade. Acts 4.12. There's no other name given to mankind under heaven by which we must be saved. When the Bible says that, that Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, That word filled is an aorist passive uh, verb, which means a special moment of inspiration that brings to function the presence and ministry of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life. And it's the thing that every disciple of Christ should be praying for. Fill me with your spirit for such a time as this. What's the first activity Peter did after he was filled? Do you remember? What's the first thing, first activity? You got a Bible with you, you got it right there. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he said. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he said. Every time, and we'll see this all through the book of Acts, every time the Holy Spirit comes upon a person, the very next thing they do is speak a bold witness for the kingdom and for Christ. This is the reason why the Holy Spirit comes on anybody, so that they will verbally speak a testimony about Christ and his kingdom. Because that's our job. All through Acts, a verbal witness is what accompanies the presence of the Spirit. Now, Peter is a unique study of a man. Peter has never been bold. Don't fool yourself. He's always been impetuous, but he's never been bold. And now when the Holy Spirit comes on him, now he's bold and wise. And I love the fact, you read what he said. There's no hint of compromise or accommodation. He is wholly committed to the singleness as Jesus as the only way to salvation. It's not Jesus and good works. It's not Jesus and anything. He's wholly committed, uncompromisingly so, to the fact that it's Jesus and Jesus alone that is the only way to salvation. All roads do not lead to heaven. The apostles never, ever watered down the fact that apart from Jesus, there is no salvation. For there is no other name given to mankind by which we must be saved. And they're not worried about how that sounds. They're not worried about how that might trigger somebody. They're just, look, this is, I just need to be honest with you. It's Christ and Christ alone. When they saw, when the Sanhedrin, all these Sadducees saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were what? Unschooled and ordinary men. They were astonished and they took note that these men had what? It's one of my favorite verses in all Scripture. It's one of my hopes that people will see that I'd been with Jesus. They were ordinary men filled with the spirit of an extraordinary God. And this is the way God works. He takes an ordinary man and an ordinary woman and deposits his Spirit, an extraordinary spirit of an extraordinary God. And the result is courage. Do you realize that in the Bible, the Holy Spirit is never fearful? <laughs> the Spirit of God is not a spirit of timidity, but one of power, strength, and a sound mind. It's a spirit of love, of power, strength, and a sound mind. There's no single attribute that's needed in the world today, especially in the Christian church, than a bold witness for Jesus. There's no single attribute that's needed more than that. When there's so much pressure not to say anything that'll... I'll tell you what, the greatest thing that'll trigger somebody is the truth that you're a sinner and you cannot save yourself and you need the work of someone else, the Jesus on the cross to save you. I mean, that's, 
that's just not a popular message. That there's one way to salvation, that we're steeped in sin. I mean, it's just, I mean, is that a popular, you answer me, is that a popular message? No, not at all. The moment you set standards that are unbending, it's not a popular message. And there's no greater, there, there's no greater thing that the world needs than a boldness from the church of God. Here, and here's how this works. Holy Spirit boldness comes through Holy Spirit fullness. It's not that Christians get arrogant and self-righteous. It's the fact that they're filled with the Holy Spirit and speak boldly. And, and, and these people saw that Peter and John had what? They saw their courage and they realized that they had what? Been with Jesus. Been with Jesus. And so here's the question. I was, I was studying this and thinking through this and praying about this, and, and I thought, you know, is it evident I've been with Jesus? I, I, it's the question that everybody who says that they're a disciple of Jesus needs to ask themselves. It is as apparent to my huddle, to people in my world, that I have been with Jesus, or is it apparent that I've been with Instagram? Or is it apparent that I've been with Fox News? Or is it apparent that I've been with people who have not been with Jesus? But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there, there's this cripple, been crippled for 40 years, and he's standing in front of them. Since they could see him standing there, there was nothing they could say, <laughs> right? How are you going to argue with a changed life like that? So they offered, uh, so they ordered them to withdraw from the Sanhedrin and then conferred together. So they kicked them out. So let's have our own private little meeting. What are we going to do with these guys? That's our question. What are we going to do with them? They're so single-minded in their in this whole idea of the kingdom, like, how do we shake them? Everyone living in Jerusalem knows that they have performed a notable sign. They won't even call it a miracle because they didn't believe in them. They were Sadducees, so they were sad, you see. That is such an old, sad pastor joke. That's horrible. You guys who went to church in the morning and in the evening and then on Wednesday, you old school church people, you probably heard that one before, but some of you newbies, you, that's like, oh, it's funny. That was good. So we can't deny it. But to stop this thing from spreading any further among the people, we must warn them to speak no longer to anyone in this name. Whenever there was a, a miracle done, the religiously, they were supposed to find out whose name it was done in. And if it was done in any other name other than God, they were to be killed. And so when they asked, by what name are you doing this? They want to know, are you claiming this came from God? Though they can't argue with a life change, I mean, the, the, the crippled guy was standing there. You can't argue with that, but here's what I know. No miracle will convince a heart that's decided to stay closed. And, and, and this is true for you today. If you choose to close your heart to Jesus, there's no miracle that can be performed that will open your heart. You just need to understand that. Like God's given you that authority. He's given you that right over your own life to close your heart to him. All they could do was threaten and try to frighten them. And one reason they couldn't punish them at this point, because Jewish law also said that you couldn't punish someone who didn't understand the consequences of what they were doing. So they had to explain to them the consequences, and then once they understood the consequences, then they could punish them. So what they're saying is, you are unschooled, ordinary men. You don't understand that you're not supposed to be teaching like you're teaching. So we're going to warn you, now they've laid the foundation for punishment to come. Do you understand that? I mean, how miserable must these Sadducees have been? 
There's miserable, they're, they're, they're people from the Northwest. They just are always angry and upset about something. I mean, that's people in the Northwest. They're always, there's, they've got an issue with everything. And, and so they're laying the groundwork. Then they called them in again and commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John replied, which is right in God's eyes, to listen to you or to listen to God? You be the judges. As for us, we cannot help speaking about what we've seen and heard. Listen, here's how this goes for Christians. Obey God and obey the government when possible. And when it's not possible, Obey only God. That's the rule. When I can, I will obey the authorities and God. When it's not possible, I'm only obeying God. And that's what they said. After further threats, so they kept threatening them. They let them go. They could not decide how to punish them because all the people were praising God for what had happened. <clears throat> For the man who had been miraculously healed was over 40 years old. So everybody knew that he was crippled, and everybody could see that he was healed, and they didn't know what to do. So all they could do was threaten them. And the thing I love about these disciples and, 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 and the foundation of what it is we have the opportunity to participate in, faith, the church, these disciples did not care about the threats of man. They didn't care. Disciples like this are unstoppable. Look at what the Bible says. On their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and reported all that the chief priests and the elders had said to them. When they heard this, they raised their voices together in prayer to God. Now, let me just set the stage. <clears throat> They've been threatened. Stop. We'll throw you in jail. Stop. We will beat you and persecute you. Stop. We will take away your possessions. Stop. We will take away the right that you have to earn money. Stop. We will kill you. That was the, that was the word. And they went back to their church and they said, okay, we got a problem. Let's pray. If that were us in our scenario, what would we pray don't lie now. What would we pray? I got one honest person in the front row. Protection. God protect us, right? What else would we pray? Courage, maybe? Come on, be honest. Okay, yeah, you all are a bunch of liars. One person's true back there. Listen, th this whole thing went down a couple years back. And the church started praying that the government would change, that the rules would change, that we would be protected, that we would, that, that, that's the reality. God, change the scenario, change the politics, change the people making decisions. Make this better, right? Don't lie about this right now. If the people of God, by the Spirit of God, are going to be transformed by submitting to the Word of God, this was their prayer. Sovereign Lord, you made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Let me, let me just, there's a two-part prayer here. They start with perspective. And when he says sovereign Lord, he's not using the word kurios, which is the common word for Lord. He's using the Greek word despotos. And what that word means is literally you are the autocrat. You are the sole authoritarian. You are the authoritarian rule over which nobody has a say. You don't get a choice. You don't get a vote. You don't have a right to share your opinion. That's what he means by sovereign Lord. You are the one. Nobody has a right to open their mouths or voice their opinion once you've declared something. So there's a perspective here. They're praying to the God. 
who has complete autocratic rule. Do you understand that? They're not praying to the Father. They're not praying to Jesus. They're not praying to their buddy who's watching out for them. This is the authoritative autocratic rule of the God of the universe over whom nobody is even allowed to have an opinion. That's perspective. When you pray to a God like that, you bring everything into submission to him. And this is what they pray. Watch this. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand and perform signs and wonders through the name of their holy servant, Jesus. Where's their prayer for protection? Where's their prayer, prayer for a change of situation? Where's their prayer for a new government? Where's their prayer for a change of anything? It's not there. Their sole prayer is, help us speak boldly. Where's the prayer for relief of trouble? It's not there. This amazes me. Disciples who pray like this are absolutely unstoppable. Understand what's happening. There's no prayer for help. There's no prayer for freedom. There's no prayer for liberation. There's no prayer for rescue. Here's their prayer. Their prayer was for greater boldness to do more of what would cause them more trouble. Don't you love that? This is discipleship. This is what it means to be a Christian. To pray for greater boldness to do more of that which would cause them more trouble. So I say, when I read the book of Acts, I'm under such conviction, personally. And I hope our church is. Because when I read the mindset of the church of Acts, it seems so vastly different than the mindset of the church in America. You know what the greatest sin and misstep of the American church during COVID 1.0? It's not that some stopped doing services. It has nothing to do with a vaccine. It was not about Fauci or freedom. It had nothing to do with any of that. The greatest sin and misstep of the American church during COVID 1.0 is that Christians sacrificed their opportunity to be a bold witness because they were more committed to their political agenda and aisle than they were to the priority of the kingdom of God. That's the church's greatest misstep in sin during the first round of COVID stuff. We had such an opportunity to give a bold witness God works all things together for the good of those who love him and called according to his purpose. That's right. You intended this for evil, but God intended this for good. I can't wait to see what good comes out of this. I have complete faith and trust in the sovereignty of God, even in the midst of losing what I don't think I should be losing right now. See, disciples who pray like this are unstoppable. And they prayed, stretch out your hand to authenticate what it is that we, we say we believe in teaching. It's, it's, it's what is recorded in Mark 16, 20. It's a little editor's note that says, Jesus worked with them through signs and wonders to authenticate the message that they preach. That's the goal. Don't authenticate us. Don't authenticate our agenda. Uh, just authenticate the kingdom. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And again, here it is. See the connection. They were filled with the Holy Spirit, and what they do? Spoke the Word of God boldly. If you've never experienced the pleasure of speaking the Word of God boldly, you must wonder if you've ever been filled with the Holy Spirit. Because in the Bible, especially in the book of Acts, those two go hand in hand. And I don't see anywhere in Scripture where someone spoke the Word of God boldly where they weren't filled with the Holy Spirit. You will be my witnesses. 
when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power and be my witnesses. And it's going to go real bad so that you will step up and speak boldly. Kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. So I say, man, the book of Acts is rough. Isn't it? It's bold. I read it and I'm convicted. But I'm not just convinced. This is what I love about God. I'm not just convicted. I'm encouraged. And I'm excited. Because this is what could be. This could be the reality for me and for us. Like, I'm not just convicted, like, oh, my God. Like, I'm excited and encouraged, like, but, but like, if, if this is what it's like, if, if this is what it's like, if this is what it's supposed to be, that means it's possible. Do you understand this? Do, do, do you understand that, that, that perhaps what many people practice have not really been reflective of the biblical record? And the biblical record is doable because it's the same spirit of God then as in now and now as then? Like this is what's possible. And I just wonder if for a moment we stop and we just start making it our prayer, God, whether it's, it goes good or it goes bad, whether it goes up or it goes down, whether it's up or to the right or down or to the left, like whatever, just give me boldness that it's kingdom above all things, not my politics, not my desires, not my goals, not my personal potential, whatever the heck that might mean, the kingdom above all things. And if it needs to get bad, so I'm a bold witness, then so be it. Because it's kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. Ready to pray it? God, your kingdom has to have priority over all things. It has to. Everything must be in submission to your kingdom. Father, my prayer for us is that in the midst of things, whether it's pleasurable or painful, whether we view it as good or bad, whether it's hopes accomplished or hopes dashed, whether it's tears of joy or tears of pain, for the disciples in this place, give us boldness to proclaim kingdom over all to submit all that is us to the priority of the kingdom. And God, dare I pray this, even allow necessary troubles to put us in a position to be bold witnesses to those watching. We submit ourselves to you. If there are some of you in this place who have not yet submitted yourself to this unstoppable kingdom through faith in Jesus, I want to invite you right now. And I don't want to blow smoke and say that if you give your life to Jesus, everything's going to be okay. We heard from Jesus already that it's not. And he might lead you into really rough stuff because it's got a purpose for you and it's not just a plan to prosper you and make you successful. I'm sorry. It's for you to be a witness for him. And there's nothing better and more significant thing you can do in your life 
then be a witness to this eternal kingdom, this unstoppable kingdom that you get to be a part of. I'm going to invite you into that. And in this moment, simply agree with God that you're a sinner. In other words, you've broken God's law. February 19th, 1983, I did that at a Christian campus, a sophomore in high school. Admitted my sin. I invite you to do that. Father, I'm sorry. I'm a sinner. I've broken your word. I've broken your law. I've broken your commands. I have my own agenda about life, and it isn't your agenda. I apologize. I'm sorry. I accept the forgiveness that Jesus secured for me on the cross by his death. And I accept a new life that he secured for me by his resurrection. I invite you into my life, Jesus. Let your kingdom be my priority. And help me learn to live in the fullness of your kingdom over mine. In your name I pray, amen. Listen, you okay? We're going to go through chapter 5 next week. And we're going to see what I call kingdom math. God has added, added, added. In chapter 5, he's going to subtract so that he can multiply. Chapter 5, whenever they broke up the chapters in the Bible, they did it how they did it. But I think the last part of chapter 4 really belongs to the first part of chapter 5. So here's your homework. Read chapter 4 through this lens of boldness and kingdom. Then read the last part of chapter 4. There's a few verses I didn't cover. Read that as the beginning of chapter 5. Because it's going to set up what happens in chapter 5, and it's pretty profound. So just do that. Yeah? Yeah? Okay. You need to know that I love you, and I'm proud of you, and that I love getting to open up God's Word with you. So thank you for your trust. Thank you for your commitment. Thank you for putting yourself out there for the Spirit to speak to Thank you for inviting your huddle. Keep it up. We're part of a kingdom, an unstoppable kingdom. And it is so good to be in the house of the Lord together. Let's sing a little bit.